Good afternoon, Walk Love Beside Hope Me fans. Radio. Good afternoon, Walk Beside Me fans. This is Christine Handy, author of the book Walk Beside Me. And I'm here with fellow author Nelly. Um, this is going to be quite an introduction because he's that amazing. There are so many, many, many things I can say about Nelly to, to introduce him. If I take a close look at the alchemy of what Nelly embodies, two distinct virtues come to my mind, perseverance and hard work. Nellie was born and raised in Philadelphia and has two younger siblings. Nellie is a survivor, an author, a mentor, a godly man, a success in creating a brand called EndFit Life. And if I quote from Nellie, your lifestyle makes you and I, I'm sorry, your lifestyle makes you different. Your desire to be better makes you end fit. Welcome, Nelly. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. I, I, I was impressed. I, I really wanted to get to know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> then well, I remember what you're talking about. This is quite an honor for me. Um, Nelly is about to release a book called Dream Awake. And Dream Awake is a much, uh, it, it's, been, it's been in the works for a while, and it's an exciting venture, um, and something that I'm proud to be a, uh, uh, to interview as you one of your first interviews. So, I'm going to ask you some questions, and if muse. you don't mind, not, not, and we'll not get just, Not just interviewer, muse, um, you know, someone to look, uh, look up to during this process as well, so. But yes, Thank please, you. let's shoot. Okay, let's shoot it. Uh, a common theme we both have as authors and claim and speak about is the title of my book called Walk Beside Me. For me, it was the women in my life who ultimately saved my life and my walking journey with them. For you, it's been your walking journey with your mom. When she was alive, but more importantly, since she was killed. Can you talk about that walk with your mom? Uh, yeah, Um I uh, it was it, it started the, the, the day uh, after she died. Uh, my grandfather uh, informed me because my grandfather and my grandmother, my mother was their firstborn, and they actually found my mother um, in the house um, after my father killed her. And um, my grandfather called us upstairs to um, the bedroom in the, in the back of the, my grandparents' house. To, Deliver the news to us, and my grandfather's a really tough guy. I never seen him cry before in my life, and then I'm seeing him just trembling with tears. And he tells me uh, the news that my mother is gone. And of course, immediately my first reaction was, "Where'd she go?" And you know, when's she coming back? And you know, then he just he start crying uncontrollably and told me that you know, mom was in heaven, and she's she's not coming back. And um, so um, I, I, at that moment, like, we all cried, me, my, my uh, sister, and my grandfather. My brother was only three years old at the time, so he wasn't around. But uh, all three of us sat on the bed, and we cried. And before I knew it, I, I fell asleep. I fell asleep crying. Mm. And um, then it felt like I woke up. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to get deep, deep into the dream, but I was actually still dreaming. Mm. Um, and um, this house that was filled with my whole family, 
relatives from different cities because I'm from Philadelphia, relatives from Jersey and Delaware and all over were in the house. And then I wake up in this dream and the house is completely empty. And I hear my mother calling me from the basement. So I run down to the basement and she looks absolutely beautiful. Um, And she's got this white dress on and um, she's, it, it was, you know, to describe it now as a, an adult, it was angelic. It was, it was, it was an amazing um, sight to see, especially after hearing my grandfather just tell me that she was dead. Right. Um, and you know, I told her, I said, "Mom, they said you were dead. They said you were gone." And you know, she kind of ignored it, and we played for hours uh, in the basement, and wow. um, we laughed, we giggled. My mom's big thing was always tickling me, so she tickled me until I cried, and. And then at some point uh, towards the end of the dream, um, she said she had to go. And you know, I said, Mom, don't go. I start crying uncontrollably. And she said, I will always be by your side. I will mm. never leave you alone. And, um, you know, to kind of speed through the story a bit, uh, I woke up. And, you know, of course, the house was full again with people. And Mom wasn't around. And that's when I realized it was a dream. But. I always felt her presence, and uh, I grew up, you know, religious. Uh, my grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness, so I prayed uh-huh. and prayed for God to, you know, give me explanation and make sure Mom's always there with me. And since that day, she's come to me two more times. Never when I, you know, request her. It's not, you know, uh, one of those, you know, things that I can just rub a uh, rub, rub a vase or a genie bottle and Mom pops up. But you know, she. She's always there. So then when I went to Bali, I lived in Australia for a while, and I went to Bali on her 50th birthday because I hadn't seen her in so many years. And um, so I wanted to go to somewhere really spiritual where I might be able to reconnect with her. So I go to Bali, and I meet Katut Vier. I don't know if you remember Katut Vier from Eat, Pray, Love. And, you know, he, he advises me to get this tattoo. And okay. I, want, I get this tattoo and the tattoo is my mom's actual hand on my back and with a finger over my shoulders and under that tattoo um, because I told him the story as well of how she can't come to me, you know, when I need her. And mm. he said, just put her there. Wow. And from that day, um, mom has always been by my side. And and that's why when I saw your, your book title, um, it kind of like, you know, sent chills uh, mm. because – that is exactly how I always describe my mom. My mom's always walking right beside me. My mom's my guardian angel. And right. anything that I ever try to achieve in life, you know, is by the grace of, you know, her support and, and, and just her always being by my side. I always know that she's there. So it helps wow. me throughout the way. Well, God will never forsake us and neither will your mother, for sure. Mm-hmm. Your book, your book Dream Awake, is so fascinating to me. I absolutely love it. Uh, those two words together is profound, so thought-provoking. Can you give the listeners uh, the reason for the title and a little bit why you chose it? Um, it's a couple different reasons. The first was um, because, you know, the, move, the, the book is based on um, my story, which starts with my mother. Um, and that whole, you know, since she's been away, it all started, our reconnection all started from that dream. And... Um, in order for me to believe that that dream was real, I had to live it awake. Um, so that that was one way that the title came to me. And then, as well, throughout my journey, when I've, I've been able to 
um, you know, take on new endeavors or even inspire somebody else, that's always been like the message, like, you know, to, to, to really achieve your dreams in life, you have to live them awake. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, you know, and looking at my whole journey and looking at this story that I wrote, it was nothing, you know, no, no better, no, no, no more fitting title than uh, dream right. awake, because that's what it's constantly been. It's constantly been so many different um, realities that I've lived in, uh, whether it be molestation, uh, prison, uh, testifying against my father, like so many realities that I didn't want to be in, and I had to get through those realities by seeing a better reality, by seeing, I guess for lack of better words, a dream, uh, right. and trying to achieve that dream uh, by walking it awake. So that's what the yeah. whole journey has been like for me, and, and that's why I came up with that title. It's, it's fantastic. It's so catchy, and it's going to so beautiful. What what led you to write the book? What was was there a pivotal moment where you said, you know what, I really have to do this? Did you kind of go back and forth about feeling, yes, this is a great message, I should do this, and maybe I shouldn't? What? Tell me a little bit about that. The, the, how I how I decided to write the book is actually a funny story. Um, I've always wanted to um, because whenever I would tell the story, people would be, you know, always so um, um, you know wowed by it. Uh, right. And, always say this is a movie this is a movie so it was always it was always a goal of mine to make it a movie um you know for people to see an individual uh but and i was living in la and i was working towards that i was working with a production company and i had told the producers you know my story and they were like nelly let's start putting this on paper let's write this whatever whatever so that was i was moving really steadily towards making a movie or writing a movie Uh, Uh and this is where the funny part comes Uh, i had a layover um, I was in Dominican Republic, and I accidentally booked a layover here in Miami, but it was an overnight layover. So I had okay. to figure out where uh, I was going to stay. I didn't want to get a hotel room. I uh, figured I might know somebody here in Miami, and you know maybe I can just crash at their place, whatever, whatever. And I, I happened to know this one girl, and but we didn't really know each other well. And I'm like, what would make her feel comfortable allowing me to sleep at her place tonight? And right. I said, um, and so I'm thinking to myself as I'm going to meet her, what, what, what should I do? What should I say? Whatever, whatever. And I go, why don't I just take, you know, uh, uh, the veil off and just tell her everything, tell her who I am, tell her my life story, you right. know, and then she'll feel comfortable because she, she knows me at this point and, and she'll let me stay over. So I tell her this story because that was the whole goal. I wow. tell her this story and she goes, oh, my gosh. She goes, you have to write this. And I'm thinking like everybody else says, the movie – so I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And she goes, no, you have to write the book. Write the book first. You know, people need to read this. People need to hold this. People need to feel this. And wow. uh, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way in the world I can write a book. <laughs> like, I've never written a book before. Like, how, how can I do this? I can't write a book. And the name right. of the movie was always Dream Awake anyway. So then the, the title came back to me, Dream Awake. Wow. Just dream a week now. So like I said, at that time, I'm living wow. in L.A. and I'm working for a production company. So I literally take the whole dream to another level and I move to Melbourne, Australia uh, with no job, no nothing, just the money that I made in L.A. And I start writing this book. Wow. And the journey is, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey since. But, yeah, that's how I decided to write the book. And, and then when I, once I told people for the first time and – just I guess people could feel my passion once I started it, even though I was scared as scared as heck. But once I started it, people felt that passion, and then people started introducing me as you know this this guy writing a phenomenal book, and right. then the dream just became more and more awake, and you know it brings us to where we are here. 
Well, it's, it's, uh, it's profound that that girl, that layover was in Miami, which is the city you live in. And yeah, exactly. Right, where, where this will all come to play. And uh, 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 by the way, that was a good catch before there when you said uh, good as heck or whatever you said. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, you're, this is, now this, we're going to move on to something heavier. Your father killed your mother. And you were the key witness in putting him away for life. I mean, this is so heavy. I have so many questions. I'm sure the listeners have so many questions about how you were emotionally able to move past this and forgive. Um, one thing I, I'll start with by asking you, when was the first time you saw your father after he was sent to prison? Um, uh, okay, so the first time I saw my father after he was sent to prison – uh, I got to kind of lead into that by telling you, like I, like I said, my grandmother was Jehovah's Witness, so I was a, I was a good kid. And in and, and Jehovah's Witness religion, um, they teach that you'll see your loved ones again in the resurrect, resurrection. Okay. Um, you know, um, there will be a resurrection, and, you know, you'll see your loved ones again, but you have to live a life, a Christian-like life. You right. have to live a life according to the Bible and, you know, follow Christ's examples and things of that nature. So. For most of my life, I, you know, I, I did just that. I went to the Kingdom Hall four times a week. I knocked on doors on the weekend. I wanted to see my mom again. I wanted mm. to see her in the resurrection. So I, I pretty much did everything uh, that my grandmother taught us to do, aside from being a class clown. That's where I got into my most trouble. Uh, I was a class clown in school and always making a scene. And, you know, I would get pink slips and suspensions for making scenes in class and things of that nature. But for the most part, I was a good kid. Yeah. And, um but during my senior year of high school, I went to my grandma let me stay out past midnight for a New Year's Eve party, and some uh-huh. friends from school were smoking pot. Yep. And uh, I needed to hurry up and get home to beat my 1 o'clock curfew. So the friends, uh, you know, they lived uh, close by, and I asked them, can I get a ride? And they're like, sure. And I'm going to get in the car. They're, you know, uh, rolling up a, um, a spliff. And I never touched drugs before in my life. And then they asked me, you know, do you want to hit it? And, you know, I don't know what possessed me to say yes, but I say yes, and I hit it. And it brought back. So my mom was 25 when she died. My dad was 26 when he killed her, so they were young. And unbeknownst to me, they both smoked marijuana. Wow. So when I, hit this, when I hit this split for the first time, it brought back all these, like, nostalgic feelings. Like, I, like I, I remembered that smell because they would mix, uh, like, the smell would be mixed in the house with incense but I can still recognize the smell. And I don't know if I caught contact as a kid, but I just really felt my childhood again. Not wow. to say that my mom and dad were always smoking in the house or anything like that. It was, you know, my, my parents were you know, pretty responsible, uh, 25 and 26, owned their own house and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I remembered the smell. And um, I just I fell in love with it. And I've always been like a, a hustler, an entrepreneurial uh, mindset and – you know, I, after spending money buying it for the next couple of weeks, I was like, why don't I just sell it to my friends, and that way I can smoke for free and probably make a couple extra bucks on the side. Well, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit kicked in, and that little, you know, couple bucks on the side within 18 months turns into $40,000 a week I was making selling marijuana to different kids in colleges uh, in Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh, two years That's later, um, yep. huh? That's quite a number. Yeah, yeah. It, of, it, it grew pretty of, fast. That's a lot yeah. of cha-ching. 
Yeah, it grew. It grew. It grew. I, and and like I said, I'm I'm 19 and a half when I start making that kind of money. So, wow. um, and it was just marijuana. Like it was, you know, I just had some friends that would introduce me to other friends, and you know, they I I, I was bringing it from Texas, so we were bringing it in the mail, we were bringing it on the airplanes, uh, bringing it in uh, tractor trailers, uh, any wow. way I can get large amounts to Philadelphia from Texas, well Mexico yeah. via Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. We figured out a way to do it, uh, me and my my guy in Texas. So speed through that. Um, one guy gets caught with a small amount of marijuana. He tells on his guy, tells on his guy, and 14 guys later it lands on my lap, and I didn't want to give up my guy in Texas, um, and which upset the government um, a great deal. And it, this was a grand jury indictment. So they sentenced me to the maximum of the sentencing guidelines. Never been arrested before, never been in trouble with the law before, but they gave me four years, two months, to eight years, four months for selling marijuana. 22-year-old kid. And uh, so I go to prison, and um, and mind you, my grandparents adopted me when I was uh, 10 years old. So my last name changed. It used to be Williams, and now it was Davis. Okay. My last name changed, and I go to this intake prison, a prison where – only, for the most part, prisoners who are just getting into the system go uh, so they can get processed and, and things of that nature. But they keep a couple lifers in there uh, just to kind of get this, you know, get the, uh, keep, keep a, a constant flow, I guess. Okay. So um, my father had been in the prison that he was in for 10 years, untouched, unmoved. Six months before I'm arrested, they put him in this intake prison. Wow. I have no idea. Um, you know, I go to the infirmary because uh, I'm really sick. I have some type of stomach virus. And as I'm walking in, a guy's coming out, and I recognize him immediately. He has no idea who I am. I'm a man now. Last time he saw me, I was a kid testifying him on that witness stand. And we come face to face, and he's kind of he's kind of got that look like, you know, what are you looking at? Wow. But he doesn't say it. And then I tell him, I say, you're my father. And now he's 40, I think 40, 40 some years old at the time. And he drops to his knees, he starts crying, and I'm completely frozen. I, I, I can't believe it. Like, you know, most of my life I always told people if I ever see this guy again, I'll kill him. Um, I hate my father, whatever, whatever. But at that very moment, so many different feelings and emotions were uh, going through my mind and body. Like, I, I hated him, but at the same time, like, he was my dad, so I'm in prison, never been in prison before. Like, I'm thinking he can protect oh, me. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 I just had so many conflicting emotions, uh, mm-hmm. hate, love, anger, fear. Like, it was just everything. So he's just, he's literally holding my legs, dropped to his knees. He's holding my legs. He's crying his eyes out. And he's saying, Darnell, because my full name is Darnell. He's, Darnell, Darnell, please talk to me. Please talk to me. And wow. I, I, I just couldn't say anything. Um, and then the guards, they were, you know, uh, they couldn't believe what was happening. They, they, yeah. Yeah, they, they didn't know what was going on. And uh, really? so um, because the, the, the way the system works, you're not supposed to be in the same prison with any family members, any co-defendants or anything. So this was a right. big mix-up for them to right. put a father and son in the same prison and yet a father who killed the son's mother in the prison. Wow. So it's like this. So they had no idea what was going on, and they separated us and – for the next couple of weeks, my dad tried to do everything he could to uh, set up a, a second meeting or some type of reunion so he can talk to me and, I guess, somewhat explain himself. 
so that was, that would be the first time I saw my father after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it, it took him a couple times. Like I, you know, like I said, I was dealing with a lot of anger, and at some point, I got over the fear because, of course, I testified against him. I put him in prison for the rest of his life. It was always a fear in the back of my mind. If he sees me, he's going to kill me. Right, like sure. I, I would think to myself, like right. you know, especially I, I, growing up, well, I always looked at myself like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he'll, and she was 25 when she died, so maybe he'll kill me when I'm 25. Maybe he'll have somebody, you know, on the outside. Like I had, the, you know, all throughout my childhood, it was big, big fears that he would he would get his payback. Right. So, you know, when I got over this fear because I'm seeing that this guy loves me, like he's mm-hmm. crying, he's emotional, you know, we're talking, and I'm like, wait, he doesn't want to kill me. He loves me. And uh, so when I got past that fear, now I'm talking to him man to man, and I'm I'm like, you know, oh, if you want to talk to me, you know, you're going to have to tell me everything because I didn't actually see him kill my mother. So right. I had all the, the, the evidence that led to it. Like, um, So I needed to, like, all these years, I always had these dreams. I always wondered, like, how he did it, uh, why he did it, what he do afterwards, how he felt about it. Right, and I knew right. he was vulnerable at this moment. And he can mm-hmm. answer all of these questions. I didn't know if he would be honest or not. So I said, listen, if you want to say anything else to me, you got to tell me everything. You got to tell me how, why, you know, and he, and he started to tell me, you know, some, some things. And he, I saw he was being, you know, a little, um, a little passive with his explanations. And I'm just like, yo, I want to know everything. I want you to show me how you killed my mother. And literally yeah. I made him demonstrate it. And because I told him, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore unless you tell me these things. And wow. although it was the most painful stories and illustrations I ever seen or heard in my life, it gave me so much closure. It answered all those questions that I had for so long. And um, then we met once or twice more. And, and as I was leaving out one day, he uh, he yelled out, "No, I love you." And wow. I, I couldn't help it. I I turned back and I said, "I love you too." And that was the start of the forgiveness. Wow. That is really incredible. You have come so far with so little direction. And, you know, from your parents, your mom wasn't around. Your father wasn't a great, wasn't a role model for you. But you have turned your life, you've turned your life into something amazing. I'm so impressed. Um, so did, right. not to, my, grand, my, my grandparents were awesome. My grandmother um, I'm probably the best human I ever met in my life. Um, yeah. Most intelligent. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's she's an amazing, so amazing, amazing woman. Yeah, yeah. And I attribute a lot of everything I am right now to to my grandma, and That's everything incredible. I'm trying to become to my grandma. <laughs> I don't know. Your grandfather seems pretty good too. Yeah, he's a cool dude. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Um. Okay, so not. I'm gonna change. Actually, yesterday was his 75th birthday, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. What's his name? Uh, Herman Davis. Herman Davis. Sweet. Mm-hmm. I I read in an interview you did in 2015 when you were asked how you approached getting a job after being released from prison, and you said, "This is such a great quote. I went in offering my services to the company. That is so." <laughs> For a then 25-year-old young man, I marvel by the courage. Can you tell us more about the process of how you got your first job and, and just how you made that decision to approach it that way? Well, uh, first, I, I never I never considered myself a bad person, even though I'm, I'm, I was a convict. 
um, and I was on parole now, but I never considered myself a bad person. I never considered what I was doing uh, like a super bad thing. Granted, it, it was against the law, but to us, it was we were having fun. It was just a bunch of kids, you know, smoking and, you know, selling weed to each other. Like, a, no, it wasn't violent or anything like that. So when they sentenced me to that, you know, extent, I, I kind of felt like the whole process was unjust. Um, right. And I knew who I, I knew who I was. And lucky, for, luckily for me, um, the first company that I worked for was, which was Radio One in Philadelphia. Uh huh. Because I, you know, I was successful in my my, my little uh, enterprise. Uh, I would do concerts at, throughout Philadelphia. Jay Z, mm-hmm. Notorious B.I.G., um, Bismarck. Like I did these concerts, and I would always advertise with this one particular radio station, and they knew me. Um, so when I first got out of, you know, prison, like every, it was a bunch of different executives and things who just knew who I was. They knew I was a good kid who just made some terribly bad decisions. Um, and I, I just, I never let that, you know, my crime hang over my head. You know, I, I, I felt like I can be good for this company. You didn't let it define you. Yeah. I knew I could be good for this company. I knew when it came to sales and advertising, it was all about personality and your connection with people. And I knew I was good with that because, you know, even in prison, like I, I knew I had a way with people. So I I, uh, I just was honest with them. I told them straight out uh, what happened, um, you know, where, where I just spent the last almost four years. And, you know, they looked past it just like I did and, and saw the person that I was instead of, uh, seeing where I had just come from. Wow. So um, that's uh, just kind of how I approached it. Well, again, that is so wise. I think that's just a common theme for this interview. You're, you've been so wise your whole life, and I guess you attribute a lot to your grandparents. But, you know, a lot of that comes, you know, you, you can you can hear it, but you have to put it into your own life and your own space, and I believe that yeah. you've done such a beautiful job doing that. We, we, all, we can all get really great messages from different people, but unless we apply it to our own life, it really doesn't mean anything. So I applaud you for everything that you've overcome. I appreciate uh, it. I sincerely do. I hope I hope more people, um, you know, are inspired as well when they read the story. This story is going to inspire so many, the book, the movie, uh, the interviews, any, anybody that hears the story is going to be touched by it. So when, um, when do you think that the, uh, the book might come out? When should we be looking for it? I'm, I'm hoping uh, next year we're in the last stages of uh, pitching to the uh, publishers, and um, I'm hoping uh, we get we get this thing on shelves next year. Yeah, so 2000. And start working on a movie. Yeah. 2018. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, yeah. Well, when I think about the scripture um, and you, they 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 kind of meld together and it's from Hebrews six nineteen. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Nellie, you are so secure in your life, your faith, your commitment to belong and to others. I am honored to be one of your first interviews before your book is released. And I'm proud to be called your friend. I appreciate your time. I, I cannot wait to interview again. And um, I'm just really, I'm grateful for your, how you speak so openly and honest about your story. It will immeasurably help other people. And I think importantly, it'll help young men who have gone through trauma, 
you know, and, and for you to go through trauma after trauma and to uh, get above it is, is so inspiring. It, it, it's going to affect so many people's lives. So I really applaud you. I appreciate it. Like I said, we, I, I just, I, although I'm, I'm humbled by your compliments, I, we're all just doing God's work. And I, I believe I went through everything that I went through um, ultimately to help other people. Um, and to show them that you can stand above anything that's happened to you in your life. You can dream awake. So all praise to God. That's right. And, and God, we are here to serve. That's right. We are meant to serve. We're here to serve others. And God will never forsake us. Like your, uh, like your mother who has never forsaken you. So thank you so much, Nellie. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for allowing me to share this story. Okay, everybody pick up Dream Awake in 2018. It's going to be on the shelves. And 2018, look for the movie. yes, sir. Look for the movie, too. Yeah, all right. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Talk to you soon.